mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and we're going to be beginning in verse 22 this morning. Uh, but again, as always, by way of announcement, remember John 10 uh, is about the good shepherd. Jesus has said, I am the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. And we know that uh, he lays down his life. I really never uh, talked about that last week. You know, the word forgive uh, and the word for lay down is the word tithemi, T-I-T-H-E-M-I. Uh, and, and it's really the word we get the word tithe from. Now, tithe is not something that we really believe in in the New Testament, but we do give an offering. God loves a cheerful giver, and there's an offering. And that's what this word literally means. To them, it means an offering, a sacrifice. Jesus gave all. He gave his whole life. He laid it down, and he's our example Listen, he's our example of what we're supposed to be doing is laying down our whole life because of what God has done for us. And it, it's interesting that uh, we don't teach this. Well, we do maybe, but we don't teach this in the church, I would say, and that people don't get this in the church, that we're supposed to be, when we're bought by the precious blood of Jesus, we're supposed to be giving up our life, no longer living our life for ourselves, but it's been purchased, it's been paid for, and if we've been delivered into Christ, then we should be living as if we're in His house and helping Him with the reconciliation of souls. So as we close last week, though, we see what we always see. As Jesus says, he's going to lay down his life. It's a decided thing. For this purpose, he has come. Uh, we see that there's a division, verse 19 and 20, 21. There's a division among the Jews who are listening to him. Uh, others said, excuse me, he says, this man is, has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Is that a good question? Why do you listen to Jesus? Listen to me. Why do you come to church? Why would you listen to Jesus? Does he make you feel good? Is it a feel-good gospel? Does he make you want to go back out and live for self? I mean, why do we listen to Jesus? Because he's God in the flesh and God has spoken. He came to lead us out of darkness. He's the light of the world. Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? 
Listen, they, they clearly admit in this discourse that Jesus healed a man who was blind from birth. Now, we have spiritual eyes to see, and we know that this man actually bowed down and worshipped Jesus after his spiritual eyes were open. But nobody's arguing about whether he healed this man. They're arguing about by what power he healed this man by. Listen, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Yeah, probably. We're being set up right now for lying signs and wonders. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Listen to me. In your argument, in your discussion, a demon can, but they won't be open to God. They won't be open to true salvation. They might be open to some religion. They might be open to some crossless gospel. Your eyes might be open to something that says, oh, I feel good. See, because we got this issue in our lives. Listen to me. We see it all across the Old Testament. So I know we still have it in our life. Is what we do is we think that our works or what we're doing lifts us up a little bit. Listen to me and bear with me on this. We raise ourselves up just a little bit. I read my Bible. I went to church. I prayed and we lift ourselves up. But then when we lift ourselves up, you know what we have to do in order to worship God? We have to bring him down. We have to bring him down to our high place, to our idol, when we lift up ourselves, And that's what they did all over the Old Testament, was they made high places that they would go up to and lift themselves up where they would worship. They would become the priest. They would become the, the leader of their salvation. And then they would bring God down to where they were, and they would lessen who he was. And that's what we do if we lift up anything but Jesus. If he be lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. And he said, we've been talking about either you're lifting up Jesus or you're lifting your heel up against him as Saul did on the road to Damascus. You're kicking against the goads. He knows where you're at. He knows who you are. He's a good shepherd. He came to supply, to lead us out. Sheep are dumb. Listen, I'm serious. Sheep are dumb. I'm not trying to be mean to us. We're all sheep. But if we're not sheep of God's pasture, then we won't hear his voice. We need somebody to lead us out of darkness. That's why we listen to his voice. That's why we believe his voice. And all it takes is like that long, and we're 15 feet away from the shepherd and we quit listening to his voice, and we don't know that we're being devoured by a hireling, by a wolf that snatches us. You know the word harpazo is used there? And if you're a Bible student, you know the harpazo is the, the rapture word. It's, it's the great catching away. And he uses the word harpazo for a liar to snatch us away from him because we're not really listening to his voice. And he's going to use the word harpazo a couple more times here. But as sheep, we need to understand that we are nothing of ourselves. And every time we lift ourselves up, we have to bring him down. We have to bring him down so that we can feel good about what we've done. But there's nothing good that lives in the flesh. Nothing good that dwells in the flesh. And we have to always be reminded of that. Or at least I do. You know, and I come to church and I want to be reminded. I can't leave here today and be the same person again. I can't go back to the same decisions in the same ways every single week after week after week. 
when God wants to take us onward and upward and have fellowship with him and wake us up and uncover these lies and, and expose them so that we will surrender to him. So as always, when Jesus shares, sadly, this chapter for John is the last time he'll share with the Jewish people. We're going to see at the end of it, he goes out and he goes back to where John was. Until when? It's next week, till the 14th of Nisan. The text is lining up. I was like, oh, you're, you're so amazing, Lord. Because he leaves and goes out and he doesn't see him again until the triumphal entry. Till Palm Sunday, till the 14th of Nisan, which is next week. Sort of. I mean, according to our American tradition. And we're going to go along with it so that we can bring about a triumphal entry and a Resurrection Sunday message the following week. But it's really sad to watch. Why do we ask Jesus? Why do we come to Jesus? Why are we crying out to God? To argue with him? Because some believe and some don't. Some say he has a demon. Some say he don't. Some say that is true and I'll follow that. Others say just because Jesus said it doesn't make it true. What blasphemy can we practice in the church today? When we have a good shepherd that would lay down his life. Tithemy. He gave it as an offering, as a sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God for the sins of the world. And all he asks us to do is to follow him. We're going to see that here in a minute. You know, when he gave free will to his creation, he gave it to his angels even. And Lucifer, the star of the morning, what did he do? He followed itself. He followed his own covetous pride. And he wanted to be like the Most High God. And then what did he do, Greg? He got kicked out of heaven. And he came down to earth. And he, and, he, and he put that thought into Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve followed him. And we had an inheritance of death. And God says, I'm going to go down and save them. And he came down as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And opens blind eyes. And his own creation said, he's got a demon. We don't want to follow him. We don't want to listen to his word. Yet he came down to open blind eyes. And if we'll follow him and stop following self and lifting up self and we begin to lift him up, because that's all the Holy Spirit in us wants to do. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And the children of God lift up Jesus. And Jesus lifts up the Father. What say you? Oh, I know. You'd think, oh, why would, why would Greg say that? Why would anybody say that? We're in church on Sunday morning. Why would you ask the question, which camp are you in? Do you believe or not believe? Are you still in unbelief? Do you think he has a demon? Listen, all I'm saying is, is that 
the church we know has the, the wheat and the tare, the sheep and the goat. Not everybody that comes into a building on Sunday morning truly is living for Jesus and has the Spirit of God in them and wants to go out and see other souls come to salvation and quit living in darkness and wake up, which is what God has got us to do. He sent us down as an alarm clock to shake them and say, wake up and smell the coffee. Wake up, get up. Awake from your sleep, arise from your death, and God will give you life. He'll give you light. And make no mistake, pastors need it as much as others need it. We're all just using our gifts in the body of Christ. And if we're not using our gift, then we're most definitely asleep. Listen to me. Sorry. Make no mistakes about it. If God bought you is for a reason, then he gave you gifts. It was for a reason. And if we're not actively looking to purposely go out and use our gifts for his glory to see souls saved, then we have to be asleep. We have to be apostate and asleep. Because that's the only reason he came to save us, the good shepherd, to lead us out. So then there's a... Well, we've been in like for 8 and 9 and 10. We've been kind of looking at probably what included what was called the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and we've talked about this a couple of times, so I won't belabor it. But it happened probably in late October. And then now we're going to see as we transition into verse 22, we're in late December. Uh, we're in late December. So we're going to have like a little gap here in between these conversations. And we're going to see Jesus, uh, where John records it by the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is now um, a little later in the season and going to give his last time of talking with them. And he's going to pronounce sentence really upon these Jews that are questioning him and listening to him and can't decide. Because see, there's a time when the decision is over with and our very actions have made the decision for us. There's a time when our heart will be confirmed just like with Pharaoh. Pharaoh kept saying yes and kept saying yes, but then his actions were no. He was yes and then his actions were no. And he was yes, go out, and then he was no. And he kept hedging his bets until there was a time where God said, it's winter in your life and I'm going to confirm this. And there's no more chance I'm going to use you to show my mighty power upon the earth. And as we open in verse 22 here, it says, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have, have excuse me, many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? 
The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to a place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. Father, we pray that we would be people who believe and then become doers and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. We ask for your spirit and your power, your strength and your might in our life, Lord, that we would have eyes to lift you up. We'd have voices to lift you up. Boldness to live for you, Lord, so that you would be lifted up and that we would not kick against the goads. Lead us, Lord. We want to follow. We want to follow you because we know you're seated in heavenly places. We give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. John 10, 22. So it tells us a lot. We have some transition statements. We have some timing statements. I don't know if you, the Feast of Dedication obviously was being practiced then. It was an eight-day feast that they would light the menorah, and it, and it celebrated uh, uh what is called the Maccabean Revolt. Uh, the Maccabeans, first and second Maccabeans is, is uh, uh, in the Apocrypha. It's books that are in the Catholic Bible. Uh, if you wanted to read them, they are historical. They are not doctrinal. They are historical only, if I would tell you to read them. But they're the Apocrypha books. And what they really celebrate is uh, um, Antichus Epiphanes, uh, from Syria come down and captured Jerusalem and he defiled uh, the temple, the altar in the temple. Some say he brought his own altar. Some say he was on God's altar. I don't know, but it's a small type of what Jesus talks about in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13 of the abomination of desolation or the abomination that brings desolation. It's a small type of this. And he came in and he sacrificed an unclean pig on the altar. And so when the Maccabean revolt happened, they took Jerusalem back. They defeated the Syrians. And so we have this feast that they would celebrate. It was a where they rededicated the temple back to God. And, and you can think of it in your life as coming and being born again. And you're rededicating your life to God. And you want his light to burn for those eight days. Eight days. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And you have a new beginning. You don't want to continue to go back and do what you've always done. I mean, uh, I think the Jewish people call it Hanukkah. And some people confuse it with Christmas. It's not Christmas. It's, it's in the same month or month of December, but it's not Christmas. It's clearly not Christmas, even.
They say they celebrate it on the 25th. It's clearly not. It's a total different festival. But it's winter. And the word winter can mean foul weather or it can mean winter. But there's this feast going on uh, uh, during this time. So it gives us time and date and place where Jesus was, what they were doing. And then what was Jesus doing? Verse 23. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now, again, this tells us so many facts that we have to understand. This is Solomon's porch, and it's a place that the Gentiles could go. The, the original temple in its stately manner was built by Solomon, and Babylon had destroyed it, but they did not destroy Solomon's porch. And this is where Jesus is walking because he's not really wanting to speak to the Jews anymore because they've rejected him. They're not listening to him and they're trying to kill him. They want to destroy him. So he knows he has to be careful with any conversation with them. And so it's really a picture of him going to the Gentiles. He's at Solomon's porch. Uh, Solomon, of course, means peace. peace. Here's a porch of peace. Do you want to be in God's house on his porch? you want to be in peace? then he's going to tell us how. He's going to tell us to listen to his voice. So this is where he's walking. Of course, I like the word walked. It's uh, peripateo. It's one of our favorite words. It means it's just your general walk. It's how he's living. It's your actor occupation. It's what you're doing now. And here he is. He's, he's come to his own, and his own are going to reject him. And then the gospel is going to end up going to Gentiles. It's just a, 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 a picture of that or, or kind of a, a foreknowledge of that. Because first it's still he's going to go straight to the Jews. And the whole, the whole uh, disciples go to the Jews until, again, what do we say? Paul, chapter 9 of Acts. He's called to go to the Gentiles. And, and he quits kicking against the goads. And he begins to listen. He gets up blind. He's led into a city. He, he prays. He fasts. He receives his sight back. And he instantly begins to share that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. So we're at Solomon's porch. And you can see this. This is where they say Jesus began to, to kind of hang out at when they rejected him. They weren't listening. He was trying to teach the boys and hang out with them. And it's where the church actually was at. You see it in Acts chapter 3. They were at Solomon's porch. Remember that? Peter and John at the hour of prayer. They go there and, and there's a blind man, uh, or excuse me, a lame man from birth there. Uh, and he's begging alms. And, they, and, and Peter looks at him and says, fix your gaze on me. He says, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. That's where they're at. They're on Solomon's porch. And that man stands up and he begins to walk. They get arrested for healing a lame man. Again, it's Solomon's porch. You can read about that in, in um, Acts chapter 3. And I like to remind you that anytime we're talking about Acts, Jesus' Acts, your Acts, it's always the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. It's always the acts. It's always got to go back to the acts of what the Holy Spirit is doing through the church. The acts of the Holy Spirit of what God is doing through your life. He, he seals you. He starts to sanctify you. He gives you gifts. And then He leads you. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. That's the relationship we now have that leads us to Jesus, who leads us to the Father, which is at the banqueting table, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And we've been married back into the family of God, where we become joint heirs 
because of our groom. 24, what happens while he's at Solomon's porch? Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now listen to me. Because this is again a prefiguring of the cross. You have to go back to Psalms 22, 12 to see this. But they surrounded him. And it automatically reminds me of many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. This is what the enemy, this is a prefiguring. We're at Solomon's porch. We're at the temple. We're in the place where Jesus is presenting himself. And then all of a sudden, what do they do? They surround him. They encircle him. Now you might think, well, wait a minute. They're trying to get more information. No, they're not. They're trying to get him to say plainly who he is so they can arrest him and kill him. He knows what's in their hearts. They're not trying to listen to him anymore. They're trying to destroy him because all the people are coming to him and they want to kill him. They are not his sheep. And that's what's going on in the world with the spirit of Antichrist. Everywhere you look and you go, how could they be teaching that? How could they be saying that? How could they be living like that? Because they're not his sheep. My sheep Hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Listen to me. It's so clear. They are not asking. Tell us plainly. He's already told them. He's getting ready to tell you that. If you believe the words of Jesus and if you believe he cannot lie, he's going to clearly say, I already told you. Why did they try to stone him two other times? He clearly told them. He told them eight, ten times. Believe the works. Look at the works. Believe the scripture. Look what I'm doing. How could you not be told any more plainly if you're the people of God that are waiting for the Messiah of God and you're ruling and teaching other people about God and how to live for God? How could you not be told any more plainly yet because of their unbelief? They continue to harden their hearts. And there comes this time that it's winter. And he's not going to tell them anything else. They surrounded him. They come and stand around him. They're not coming, they're not coming to hear. Think about it. We've already had a couple people that came and they go, Wow, you're the Messiah. He told the woman at the well he was the Messiah. The blind man bowed and worshiped him in front of them because he was the Messiah. The common people know exactly who he is. They're believing in him. It's the religious, the legalistic, those making and lifting up themselves that cannot see that he's the Messiah. If we will humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he'll lift us up. But if we lift ourselves up, then we have to bring him down. We have to bring him low. And we take away from who he is. And he's willing to do that. He even tells them, if you can't believe that I'm the Messiah, at least believe the Father's witness. Believe the works that I've done. He's trying to still cry out to them. Look at their question. 
as they resist his words, as they resist his spirit, as they resist his, what he's doing, as they resist even looking at the works that he's doing, he's just opened a blind man from birth's eyes. It's never happened. And they continued to resist him instead of surrender to him. And they say to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? Keep us in suspense of the mind. Make us to doubt. How long? An adverb of continuance is what I read in my studies. That How long is an adverb of continuance uh, in Blue Letter Bible? I was like, oh, really? What's an adverb? Never mind. I'm teasing. But it means continuance. He's not keeping them. Listen, Christ came to give light. Christ's word opens blind eyes. He just opened physically blind, spiritually blind, to where he worshiped him. God is not trying to keep us in blindness. He's coming down and shining light in our darkness. And it's our hard hearts that does not receive and believe and obey and follow. And what does he declare about them? He went, they, tell us plainly, they say. 25, Jesus answered them, I told you. I've already spoken. See, God doesn't have anything new to say. He's already spoken. If it's new, it's not from God. And if it's from God, it's not new. Everything that God needed to say has already been recorded in this word. It's already spoken. I already told you. And look what he says. And you do not believe. The works that I do... In my Father's name, they bear witness of me. You do not believe because you are not my sheep, as I said. I mean, Jesus knows that. Jesus knows all that are his. Jesus knows every sheep that is his fold that the Father gave to him. He knows who they are. He knows when they're going to come. He knows how they're going to live. He doesn't learn anything on any day ever. He knows everything. He knows everything. He knows all about us. And he says, I already told you. I've repeated the works. But notice why he does the works. I want you to know that who he's getting. Look where he's giving the glory at. This is why we need to know who we're supposed to be lifting up and not try to steal God's glory or he'll leave the room. Even Jesus is doing all that he does by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I already told you and you do not believe the works ergon, what I'm occupied with, the acts that I am doing, performing in my father's name, according to his character, his nature, his will, his authority, according to what he sent me to do. So he's saying that I'm perfectly obeying the Father and the Father sent me to do it and that is where I get my marching orders from and I'm obeying him because it's his name and these works that I'm doing, they bear witness. Uh, martyreo, martyrei, bear witness. Let me see it. Where is it? Martyreo. They testify. They give evidence. They give testimony. Again, listen to me. Whether we're following the self-nature, that the sin nature, that the inheritance that comes from following the devil, the father of all lies, or whether we're following Jesus, the good shepherd that leads us out of darkness, the evidence and the testimony of our lives will be clear. Listen, it'll be clear by how we're now living how we're now peripateoing and walking about. Whose porch are we on? 
Are we still on the world's porch thinking it's okay to hang out on the porch of the world and be entertained and have fun? Or are we walking in peace with God to tell others about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and that they need to be reconciled with God? Whose porch are you living on now? Jesus is no longer in the world, but he's coming back to judge it. And he laid down his life for us. And he's told us, and we're not saved by the works we do, but I can guarantee you our heart, our works, our ergon, what we're, what we're occupied with, the acts that we're doing will tell you whether they're led by the Holy Spirit or are they led by self. Well, are they led by the agenda of self and death and the world and darkness or are they being led by the Spirit of God for the glory of God? The evidence is clear. And what we do, what we're occupied with, because the Spirit is not going to lead us to go out and chase the toys of this world. Yes, we have to do the natural. It's part of that witness. But are we concerned with souls? And this is all, I, you know, sometimes I say this stuff, and I'm, not, and I'm not in any way trying to infer that I've reached some plateau. I'm not in any way, all I'm doing is sharing the Word of God in my gifting, in my teaching. And not in any way am I inferring that you should be there right now. Let's get there. No, you grow in it. And what you give your heart to, which direction you're going, is what you're going to grow in. If you continue to go and, and be on the world's porch, don't expect to end up in peace and life abundantly because you're training your heart to keep living in the world it takes an act of your free will and your choice that i no longer want to be in the world living this way i want to be different because of what jesus has done because of what he has said because he laid down his life for me i now want to lay down mine for him because he first loved me that's what the gospel is about And we're going to see here in a minute, it's not about what other people know about you. It's not about what other people see you doing. It's about my sheep hearing my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus is not confused up there going, you know what? I can't tell whether Greg's my sheep or not. I can't tell by what he does every day. He's not confused because he lost none except for the son of perdition who chose to go out and die. He chose to go out and kill himself in a fallen state. He could have believed. But he went out and killed himself in the state that he was in after he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It was winter in his life too. It was dark. Jesus has already told us. He's not saying anymore. He speaks, excuse me, he speaks to us and he waits for us. And here he knows they do not believe. Now listen, it's not new. The children of Israel, the children of Israel did this. We see, it, we see the scriptures are an example to us. The children of Israel physically seen it physically seen 10 miracles 10 plagues and they were protected perfectly from it 
And then they were led out by their tribes, even though they doubted all the the words of Moses and Aaron, even though they doubted that it was going to happen, even though they complained and grumbled and talked bad about the one who was saying, listen, we're going out. Listen, they've seen all of that. But what did they do? They hardened their heart in the wilderness, in the day of rebellion. They rebelled against the word of God, the voice of God, the instruction of God, the commands of God. And what happened to them, Greg? They all fell dead in the wilderness, except for Caleb and Joshua. Let's go to Hebrews. I'm going to read it, seriously. And, and you got to tap me on the hand, get me to move quickly because it's two chapters. And then we'll come back. But I'm just going to try to just read it. Let it stand for itself. And we'll be here for two hours at least. Hebrews 3. Listen, I just want you to see this because the whole argument that, that Paul is making, I believe it's Pauline, in the book of Hebrews is about Jewish people that want to walk away from God. Now listen, if it was not possible to walk away, he wouldn't have wrote the book. If it was not possible to walk away, Nobody can harpazo, they can violently snatch you or force you out of his hand. But it must be possible to walk out of his hand and reject and not believe it because we see the Jewish people doing it and we see a letter of excellency written that covers the whole thing that proves that Jesus is the Messiah and he's greater than the law. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than any. And there's nobody else coming if you walk away from him and you don't hear his voice for such a time as this. Therefore, holy brethren, it's 3-1 of Hebrews. I'm just going to keep going. You can go back and read 1 and 2 to find out why he said therefore, what it's there for. Therefore, holy brethren, notice he calls us holy because he is holy. And if you belong to God, you're holy now. God doesn't have anything that isn't holy. He purchased it with the blood of Jesus and that consecrated and set you apart and made you holy. Partakers of the heavenly calling Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession who we believed in, Jesus Christ, who, is, who was faithful to him, who was appointed him, as Moses also was faithful. He's, he's, he's wrestling with them about their law in, the, in his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. That's the whole argument, that the law could never save you. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house... For every house built by someone, but, but every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful. We're called to be faithful. It's a gift or it's a, a fruit of the spirit in all of his house as a servant, a steward for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. But Christ as a son over his own house whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, listen to me, the seeing eye and the hearing ear, the Lord has made both. As the Holy Spirit says, listen to me, the Holy Spirit is leading us out of darkness. The Holy Spirit is taking everything that belongs to Jesus and lifting it up. And Jesus is lifting up the Father. Listen to me. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness, 
where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years number of judgment. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, warning sign posted on the post, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. That's what we do today. We're exhorting. I'm encouraging. I'm in the word of God. We're trying to counsel one another. We're trying to learn that we don't want to listen to man's voice. We don't want to harden our heart and lift up our heel. We want to hear what God is saying. And it has to be done in a personal love relationship where you meet with him. Oh, you can come meet with me. And I pray that the Holy Spirit is teaching you. But if you don't begin to meet with him... You're in trouble at the heart of your so-called Christian walk. But exhort one another, verse 13, daily. It's the one another ministry. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It's uh, deceiving yourself. For we have become partakers of Christ. You get to chapter 6. If you don't believe that we have become partakers means partakers. When you get to chapter 6, and everybody argues about whether partakers means partakers. Listen to me. He says right here we're partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, he repeats it, second witness, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Rebellion is is a sin of witchcraft, we're told in 1 Samuel 15. For who, having heard, they heard the word, rebelled, indeed was it not all, calculator, who came out of Egypt... The world led by Moses, the law. Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses, dead bodies, fell in the wilderness? We go through wildernesses. Listen, it's our trials, it's our testing. You're going through them. You're going to go through them. You can't get around them. You're going to go through the wilderness, all of us. It's life, it's the processing of the practical walk of God. It's not our home. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, his peace, but to those who did not observe, obey? So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. This is the condition that we see right now. It was in the wilderness. It's in the Jewish people as Jesus came. Why? Because they're lifting themselves up. They're in their own power. They have their own system. They're not willing to change their mind and turn and follow God because they already think they're okay. So therefore, they're blind and their sin remains. Jesus is clear about this. Chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest. Let us fear, the fear of man produces a snare, but he who trusts the Lord shall be delivered. 
Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it, short of his promise of rest. For indeed, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Are you kidding me? The gospel was preached to the children in the ecclesia in the wilderness? The gospel, the good news, was preached to them? That's amazing to me, guys. I don't know where who you guys are at, but that's amazing. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. If you're going to mix the gospel with anything, mix it with faith. Listen, don't mix anything else with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, except for faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. For we who have believed do enter that rest as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, it's all been finished since the foundation. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of what? Disobedience. They did not obey. We were already told that in 315, 316. Seven. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David. Now, when he says in David, he means in Christ, because David is the, the, the grandfather or the father of Christ. Jesus is the son of David. Today, after such a long time, fullness of time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice. Remember, that's phone. The phone is ringing. Pick it up. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Pick up the phone. Yes, Lord, what do you need? Yes, Lord, I'm here. Yes, Lord, teach me to be faithful. Yes, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Yes, Lord, I will go. Yes, Lord, I know you're capable. Yes, Lord, I fall so short. Yes, Lord, I agree, Lord. Do not harden your hearts. Listen, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's capable. He's everywhere. He knows what you're going through. He's leading us through the wilderness. Don't get to the doorway of this peace on Solomon's porch and say no. For if Joshua, the Lord of salvation, had given them rest, we're speaking of uh, uh, the Old Testament, the law, going across the Jordan, a type of, then he... capital, would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, the children of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Listen, we cease from lifting ourselves up, looking to ourselves, looking to our own strength and power and lifting ourselves up with our works, our religion, our own laws and rules so that we can bring him down. We stop that. We know that he's our all in all, that there's no other way but Christ. There's no other name but Jesus. And we believe. 
Pistio. We trust him for our spiritual well-being. We've made a commitment. We trust him. We, we've laid down our life and surrendered to him. And we're not kicking against the goads. And if we do, we're not going to do it for very long. Because then he'll chastise us and take us to his woodshed. Are you still doing your works? Are you still lifting it up? Are you still looking to complete something in your power? It's all finished in Christ. 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Let us therefore labor to enter that rest. It's some work to enter in, to quit living for self. It's work to enter in, to stop lifting self up. It's work to enter in, to say, not me, Lord, but you. It's work to glorify him. It's work to be dead to self and stay crucified in the grave. And all of us have to do that work. That's the work you're doing is put it in the grave, give the Father glory. Put it in the grave, lift up Jesus. That labor is hard because we want to get back on the throne. We're sheep. We go 15 feet away, and we already want to say, it was me. Look what I done. We go 15 feet away, and we go, yeah, I'm pretty good because I went to church last week. We get 15 feet away, and we become sheep again that are not following the good shepherd who says, follow me. I'll lead you out. I am the light of the world. Four eleven. Let us therefore be diligent. Let us labor to enter that rest, lest anyone fall, fail, fall down. Listen, I want to fall down and lay my crown. I don't want to fall down down here. According to the same example of disobedience. There it is the third time. It was did not obey. It was disobedience and disobedience. They heard it. They didn't mix faith with it. They didn't step out of the boat didn't trust in the power of God so they made up their own little idol where they lifted up and then they brought him down and then when they seen the giants they turn and run until when until it was winter and they said no it's too late now you're going to spend the next 38 years in the wilderness and they go no we're going to go in so the next morning they tried to go in without God and what happened they were sent like flies swarming running from the enemy. And it was too late. It was winter. At their Kadesh Barnea, where they had a valley of decision. Verse 12, here it is. What do we want to look at? Here it is. Here's the answer to everything. The Word of God is living and powerful. All-powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked, just like in the garden, and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yes, we're saved by grace. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should work in them. And we cease our own works. We rest from doing our own lifting up and we lift up nothing but Jesus. 
if we lift up anything else, we're kicking against the goads in the wilderness. Notice the goads are to get you to move and follow the Word of God and obey the Word of God. Back in our text, he said to him in 26, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. As I said to you, he had already declared that to them. You are of your father, the devil. Listen, we don't have to. Listen, you want to know, am I, am I yours, Jesus? Oh, my goodness, was I created? No, if you come to him, surrender to him, bow down to him. That's the only thing you have to do is come to him. And we're saved by grace. He finished all the works on the cross for us. All of us are going to stumble. All of us are going to mess up. But is the evidence of your life that you have changed your mind? The evidence of your life that you have turned to God? That is the evidence and the witness there that you're, you are moving in the direction of God? Or, or do we have an unbelieving heart that is still living on the world's porch instead of resting on the porch of peace, knowing that we're going to go down to our grave in peace like Josiah did? Don't be deceived by the enemy into living in the flesh and finishing in the flesh what God has started in the spirit. So he tells us God's words, verse 27. You might have memorized it. My sheep, 1027, my sheep, mine, those of mine, the sheep of my flock, my pastor, here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. James 1, 22, but be doers and not hearers only, deceiving yourself, because that type of hearing is not, hearing of the gospel is not mixed with faith. And it's self-deception if we don't mix it with faith, and faith sends us out to become doers of the gospel. My sheep, those that, I have led out of the world, off of the world's porch and onto Solomon's porch, into peace, into rest. Those that are going to be seated with me in heavenly places, they hear what? My voice. My phone. My discourse. My gospel. The idea here uh, about phone or his voice uh, 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 is the idea of disclosure, a tone, and address. Disclosure really means uh, uh, the act of revealing utterance of that which was secret before. It was hidden. We were blind. We couldn't hear it. We couldn't see it. We couldn't comprehend it. And then he opens blind eyes, and now he uncovers it. Revelation is the revealing or the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. It's the uncovering of the truth of God and what he's doing. And that's what this means when we hear his voice. Hearing has the connotation of obeying what his voice is. Why? Because he already knows us. And as we follow him by experience, Gnosko, we learn to know him and trust him and say, wow, as we go through this wilderness, he's, he's the water in the rock. Not just that he brought water to drink out of a rock. He was the water. Not just that he rained bread from heaven. He was the bread. Not just that he gave us light when it was dark. He was the light. 
you learn this and you go, wow, I can trust him. Look what he did with the children. And they were there and seen it physically and still hardened their hearts and still said no and still did not obey the voice. Listen, that gives me great hope. He was long-suffering with them. He'll be long-suffering with me, but it's not the place I want to camp out at. Going around the same mountain so many times when I could be walking with him and doing the work of the ministry and be privileged to go out and tell others because he is faithful. Pretty amazing stuff. That's why I say I don't know how we can come and listen to it and go out and not be changed. How can you hear the word of God and it doesn't make you say, ah, I want to mourn over my sin. I want to mourn over my life. Look what I did last week. I don't want to be that person anymore. And then we go out the door and we go do the exact same thing we did last week. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about sheep in Texas. They got bigger areas to run in in Texas. Got to be careful, though. There's a lot of Chinese nationals being hidden down there now. So, Somebody said Chinese? They didn't say Hispanic? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I digress. Listen, you don't have to fear, though, because God's on the throne. He called us for this purpose. He saved us for this reason. I don't care what the world is doing. What is Jesus doing? I don't care what the world is doing. What is Jesus doing in your life, through your life, because of what he did for your life? How has it changed us? Seriously. What is Jesus doing? He's saving souls. He hasn't stopped. He's not going to quit. He's already spoken. And he's inviting you and me to be involved in that. And we are so involved. People want to talk about everything in politics, everything on their job, everything on the sports, but nobody wants to talk about what Jesus is doing. We don't want to talk about the Word of God. But boy, you can stand and talk for 50 minutes on a football game. I'm sorry, I'm not being mean. But you start talking to Christians about the word of God and they want to escape. Or they want to surround you and be mockers like the last days are bringing. Or say, how long do you keep me in suspense, Lord? What are you doing? What what do you mean, what is he doing? He's saving souls. God's just got me in suspense. I don't understand why this is going on in my life. I don't know why I'm going through this again. Why am I still going around this mountain? Because you're still lifting yourself up. You're still living your life. You're still doing what you want to do. The mountain is not moving. The mountain is God. I'm sorry, am I getting loud? He's not going to move. God doesn't change. He's not fluid. But he gives his creation a chance to change and to be born again into his house and turn and follow him. They're going to be mad because I spoke so lightly they couldn't pick it up. But you guys got it, right? 
That's what I was worried about anyway, the sheep that he gave me to teach, talk to, share the scriptures with, that we are eating together the bread of life. I am not a Nicolaitan. Or at least, listen, I don't want to be a Nicolaitan. I don't want to be lifted up above the laity because God hates the works of the Nicolaitans who act like they're above the laity. Laity is all the sheep. Whose voice are you listening to today? Are you still in the sheepfold of the world, on the porch of the world? Or have you heard his voice and come out and surrendered and laid down your life and said, Here I am, send me. Or do you still think there's something good over there to eat? Do you really think that everything that you're eating in the world will not lead to death? I don't care what kind of package they wrap it in. Here it is. It's the American dream. All of us Republicans are doing this. Yay! Death. Death. Just a different package. Death. It doesn't matter what party. It's just death. It's the world. It's all underneath the sway of the wicked one. But we're stupid sheep. That's a self-esteem gospel there for you. We're stupid sheep. Listen to me. And we will fall for the next post that pops up on our phone because we can't help it. Oh, look, they closed 10 banks. Oh, look, it's all going under. What am I going to do about my 401k? What are you going to do about your soul? I'm not saying be haphazard with God's money. Be wise as serpent, as gentle as doves. But don't be freaking out when you have a perfect salvation, a perfect Savior, the good shepherd who provides perfectly. How do we go in and out of his pasture and go out to witness and come back and we're not different? How do we go in and out? He said we would go in and out. That's what he's doing is he wants to send us in and out. Hearing his voice. I think the clock stops. So you guys are going to be here for a while. There's no time in the kingdom of God. I'm sorry. God's outside of time. I'm teasing. Not. My sheep here, my phone. It's a discourse. It's the closure. He's revealing what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. And I know them. Gnosko, he knows this perfectly. Listen, listen, you go, this is ridiculous. I do it all the time. I'm complaining about it. I do it all the time. I'm a sheep. And he's like, I know you need this in your life. I know you. And I know what it takes to keep you praying. I know what it takes to get you across the finish line. I know what it takes to get you to follow me. And we're like, man, I am fighting the devil. This is ridiculous. This is crazy. He's defeated. He's defeated if you'll just surrender and follow Jesus and become a follower. My sheep, hear my voice. I know them. He loves them. He's the good shepherd. He laid down his life to them, an offering, a sacrifice. He gave his blood to take our wrath. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And they follow me. 
It means to be in the way with, to accompany. To join as a disciple. To join as a disciple. That's what it means. A learner, a pupil, one who wants to hear the word of God and obey it. And it comes from a word that means holy. Not holy like in H, but W-H-O. How's that spelled? L-L-Y. Completely. That's a better word because that's what he's doing. He's completing the work that he started in us until the day of Christ Jesus. Who are you following this morning? Listen, listen, not haphazardly. With confidence, with boldness, with deliberation. Listen, who are you following this morning? Because if you don't, if you're not doing it deliberately with purpose because of the ministry of reconciliation of souls, because of the, the enemy around us, because of the, the thief that came to rob, kill, and destroy, because you know that you're a sheep that will be led away by any other voice, if you're not deliberately following Jesus and in the word prayer and fellowship, then you're in trouble at the heart of your Christian walk. I'm not saying you won't make it to heaven, but I'm saying you're going to be a beat up sheep when you get there you're going to smell like smoke when you enter in when you don't have to you can be confident and bold you can have a dynamic in your life of power because we're the king's kids that should humble us because we used to be the devil's kids and we still have sin in our life but he's already paid for it completely on the cross. And we can turn our heart toward, toward home or we can let the devil spoil us, cheat us, rob us of our salvation. Another message, I won't go there. Who are you following in relationship? I mean, we're going to get to it. Well, let's just read the next verse. Um, 28, and I give them, that's Tithemi again, and I give them eternal life. Always remember that when you see the eternal life, that every single one of us are eternal. But life speaks of the quality of that life with God for eternity. Not the quantity, because we're all going to live somewhere in eternity with God or apart from God. So when we've been given a life, it's been restored back to be with God forever in heaven instead of reaping the wages of sin, which is death, eternal separation from God. So it's a quality of life that we don't have to live in the world's porch we can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need we can enter into the holy of holies because of who jesus is and they shall never god's word not mine perish die be destroyed neither shall anyone harpazo snatch them out of my hand out of my power out of my strength listen God's word, never and always, listen to me, uh, you, those that are 
uh, using those words, stop using them. Unless you use never and always in the context of God, don't use them in your relationships. Don't say it to your spouse. You always do that. Don't say it to your spouse. You never do that. Those are God's words. Those are absolute words. Those are not for our English language. Unless you say, God, you always provide for all of my needs. God, you never will leave me nor forsake me. Don't use those words. Just take them out of your vocabulary. They're not made. They will start an argument every time. And the Lord's bond person is not quarrelsome. We are supposed to be resting in peace. Your spouse does that. Your spouse is there to sharpen you. That's part of your wilderness. Go to the Lord with it. That's part of your praying. Surrender to God. Listen to His voice. Let God change your spouse. I'm saying he, uh, I could say she, but I don't want to get in any trouble. I'm teasing, of course. Whichever spouse it is, But men, live with your wife in an understanding way as their weaker vessel, that your prayers are not hindered. That's the Bible. I don't care what the world says. Turn on your TV and watch a man race a girl. Turn on your TV and watch a man play basketball against a girl. I'm not being mean. She was designed that way. Or you can turn on your TV and stay in the world's porch and believe them that gender is fluid and it's okay. But there's absolutely no science. There's no conscience that's not under delusion that would believe such a thing. I don't know how you got there anyway. Never. He's going to give us, to the me, eternal life forever. Get a calculator if you want to know how long that is. It'll break. They shall never perish. Never perish. Anybody say never? Never perish perish it's absolute absolute negative it's a never ever never apollyano perish and then he says this and neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand harpazo to sneeze to catch away it's the word for rapture to take by force Listen to me. This is very important because you can wonder out of God's hand. I believe that. I don't believe you lose your salvation from it, but I think you can wonder away. You can choose to walk away. You can choose not to live for God. He's not going to force himself upon you. And somebody will sit around and argue. I'm not going to be quarrelsome about it. They'll go, well, they were never saved in the first place if they can walk away. I don't care. You still walked away. You still didn't receive. You still didn't believe. I don't care whether you were never saved at all or what it was. It's still a soul that Jesus died for. It doesn't matter whether you lost it. I don't want to get caught up in that argument. The point is, is you have to be specific and deliberate And when that evidence is there, it clearly proves in this grand courtroom that you are a child of God because you're hearing his voice and you're following. You're asking him to give you power to obey. What does it matter when a soul goes to hell, whether they lost their salvation or whether they just never believed? What does it matter? Christ died for nobody to go. 
Why do we argue about that? It only divides. The soul still went to hell. The devil still deceived them. Drives me crazy. I don't want to argue about it. Just read the word of God. And stay in the middle of his hand. Nobody can take you by force, but you can wander away. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Now he's showing their oneness. He's showing their unity. He's showing that you're covered by the son and the father. And guess what? If you're his, the spirit's in you. So all of God has got you. That's how come we can use never and always. God has got you. The spirit seals you. You're in the son and you're coming to know him and you're following him. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the Father's waiting at the wedding supper of the Lamb. That was his whole plan in the first place. To prove that there's no wisdom or counsel against God. That the devil who thought he was wise is not wise. He cannot defeat. He cannot take away. But now we are free will agents that choose to be part of his kingdom. Choose to be like him. Choose to be conformed to his. And we choose freely his love because he first loved us. And he didn't have to create robots. But there was a free will choice like, wow, what kind of love is this? I want to be part of that love. Freely. And he'll do the rest for you. That's amazing to me. I don't even understand it. I sometimes uh, think like a heathen. I do. You guys don't. People in Texas do. I do in people in Texas, but you guys you got it going on up here in Indiana. It's a Bible Belt. You ain't got to worry about nothing. You said a prayer, didn't you? Listen, I'm being facetious. That's the insanity of it. There's an enemy. There's other. There's, there's wolves. There's liars. There's the devil. Who came to rob, kill, and destroy you. And Jesus says, nobody can ever take you out of my hand. You're never going to perish. You're going to have an abundant life. Just listen to me and follow me. I already know that you wander away. I already know. That's why I came and died. Quit acting like I'm disappointed. I'm trying to perfect you and complete you and lead you home. I'm not mad at you. I paid for all the sin. Just follow me. I'll make you look good. I'll give you the credit for it if you lift me up. And then when you get to heaven, you can lay down your crowns and sing holy, holy, holy. Because you know you didn't do it. You couldn't have done it. You would have did the same thing as Adam and Eve did and listened to another voice instead of God's. Hardened your heart instead of let God soften your heart. It's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. They're one. Look what he says. That's what he's coming to. Uh, Verse 30. I and my Father are one. One of the same. What's he saying there? Come on, Christians. He's saying he's God. Emmanuel, God with us. How do we know? Look at the response. What did they do? They know full well what he was saying. Then the Jews took up stones. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone again to stone him. See how they thought about themselves? They lifted themselves up to a high and lofty place. And now they're picking up stones again. They think they have the right to take life. 
They never gave life. They don't give anybody life. Only God has the right to take life. And then under his authority and his prescription, we can follow him and take life. They want to leave that hanging there. Look, they know he was claiming to be God because they took up stones and Jesus answered them. He's reasoning with them. He's given them a chance. Why would you want to kill me in your life? Why would you want to be a part of death culture and be on the world's porch when you can have my kingdom and be on my porch and enjoy yourself and rest? Jesus answered them, many good works, many miracles I have shown you. Notice where he gives the credit, from my father. Always, he's always pointing back. He doesn't say, look what I did, like I might say. From my father. For which of those works, ergon, occupation, do you stone me? Oh, they weren't really going to stone him. Really? Look at the words that they answer. The Jews answer. Look at their hearts. Look what they're thinking. Look what they're doing for a good work. We're not stoning you for a good work. We do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. They know exactly what he was saying. This was his final with them. Either you believe Jesus is God, or you're not believing in the right Jesus. Well, he never claimed to be God. Want to bet? Read the book of John. Read the Old Testament where he says, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid upon himself the iniquity of us all. I mean, it's clear that God came and died for us, that he's God in the flesh and he's claiming to be God, not just the son of God, but God, very God. 100% man, 100% God. Don't know how it works, but I like it. Don't have any other thing to say about it. They're going to stone him. They lifted up their hands against him. Lifted up stones in their hands against him. Notice the text. Where is it? It's again. It says again. Uh, 31. And the Jews took up stones again. Again and again and again and again. And this is how the spirit of Antichrist works. This is how the devil works again and again and again. He chips away and takes up stones and death culture is killing the word of God. And we see it more blatantly today. But that's because it's always been there. And it's always been rising. Babylon rising. It's always been this lifting up of self. It's always been this bringing down of God. It's always been this lie that would try to muddy up the water and keep us from believing that Jesus came to earth and took flesh, pitched his tent among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's full of grace, and that's all he wants to give us is grace. God's riches at Christ's expense and an inheritance in the heavenlies where we can rest on his porch and we do not have to be destroyed. I love this stuff. Wish I could... Practice it better. Walk it out better. Not grumble and complain as much. 
We're not going to kill you for good works, but because you blaspheme and you make yourself God. Because you blaspheme and you make yourself God. So Jesus answers them. 34. Is it not written in your law? Listen, he always goes back to written, grapho. It's already been written down. I've already spoken it. I've already said it. This lines up with the word of God. It always will. It never won't. It has to happen because God said it. If it's written, it will happen exactly according to written. Just because of our unbelief and hard hearts, we don't see what it's saying because we want to keep our eyes blind. We don't want to believe it. We want to live in death culture and follow our emotions and feelings and anything else that opens its mouth doesn't mean that God's not going to keep doing everything that he said he's going to do. Listen to me. It is written. I said, ego spoke. That's I. You are God's. Little g. If he called them God's to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken... Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? There's ego of me again, the Son of God, the offspring of God, meaning that he came from God and he's just like God. The Son of David means he's from David. The Son of God means he is God, very God. That's what he's claiming in their presence. They know what he's saying. Their culture understands it. But again, let's look. He's quoting from um, Psalms 82. So let's just look. I could, I, I could show you a bunch about this. I might even. Let's, uh, Psalms 82, though, is the main place that he's quoting. And you know what they would have done when he quoted and said what he said? Listen, listen. They know the scriptures. And when he quoted this, their minds would have instantly went to Psalms 82. And what's the theme of Psalms 82? The theme of Psalms 82 is God rebuking bad magistrates, bad judges, bad teachers, bad priests of his nation because he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. And once again, just like in Ezekiel 34, let's look. Psalms 82, 1. God, Jehovah, stands, it's actually Elohim, stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. This is not talking about, listen, it's not talking about false gods. Notice it's a little g. 2,600 times in the Old Testament this word is used. It's Elohim. It was used first time, first uses in Genesis when he said, let us make man in our image, Elohim. El is God, Elo is dual God, Elohim is plural God. But here he's 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 calling he's judging them because he made them magistrates he made them priests and shepherds and leaders and look what it says how long will you judge unjustly see God's a God of justice and show partiality to the wicked calling good evil and evil good 
Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver. God is a great deliverer. The poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. How do you do that? You shine a light in darkness. You preach the truth. You, you boldly proclaim truth no matter what they do to you. They do not know, nor do they understand. He's talking about uh, the poor and the needy. Uh, they walk about in darkness. He's saying, I'm the light of the world. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. Jesus is the rock. I said, this is what he was quoting, you are God's. Same word, Elohim. And all of you are children of the Most High. Now, again, I, I want to, because maybe for lack of time, I won't go in too deep. But listen, the whole nation of Israel started with Abram, called out of Ur of Chaldean. The whole nation already were children of God. They were the nation of God. They became the bride of God. And, and the only difference now is, is that we have the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, this Holy Spirit would come upon them for specific purposes and things. And then the Holy Spirit would come off of them if they had already done it or, or if He was taking it from them. But in the New Testament, then God comes and lives in our heart and we become children of God. But it was always pointing up to that. And so He says, you are all, He's talking of the nation of Israel that He he called them to be little gods, little judges, the light of the world. They were supposed to be declaring who God was, that our God is with us. We'll see more of that in chapter 15 of John when Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser because Israel was not a good vine. They were wild grapes. We'll see that. But this is what he's trying to say, that you're all children of the Most High. But that was number six and seven, but... What he just told him, listen, what he just told him, you're not of my fold because you don't believe. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Not Elohim, but Sar, S-A-R, Sar. It still means a leader, a head person, a governor, a ruler of this world, this secular world. You're going to die like them. In fact, Proverbs 28.2 uses this. Because of the transgression of the land, many are its sars, many are its princes. But by a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. Righteousness will be prolonged. Now that can speak of Jesus, one man. But it can also speak of those who proclaim truth because of Jesus. That we are the restraining factor in the world because of our understanding and our knowledge. We continue to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and we speak truth until God takes us home. But here he said, I, I, I said, you are gods and all of you are children of the Most High, but you will die like men, fall like one of their princes since you chose to live on their porch and not hear my voice and do what I called you to do in your religion and high lifted up place. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. And that's speaking of the future glory of God. Now, now you want to you see further? Look back in uh, Exodus 22. Because Exodus 22 is the place that I first thought of. And then I looked at the note and I seen that they were quoting Psalms uh, um, 82. But I was looking at Exodus in Exodus 22, verse 7, or excuse me, 21 is what I was looking at. 21, 7. 
Let's just start in one. We'll hurry. We'll squeeze through this really fast, and I'll get you home to eat your food. 21.1, now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. Who? His leaders. you got to set this before them. you got to give them a choice in their conscience. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, number of men, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. It's a free freedom, the number of jubilee. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be his masters and he shall go out by himself. If the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Listen, listen to me. This is a free will choice. You've been set free to follow Jesus. You've been set free in the seventh year, the number of jubilee of completion. You're no longer six. You're a seven now. You're being completed, sanctified, set apart, sent out. If you make the choice, what happens? I'm just giving you a little bit of commentary. Um, Verse 6, then his master shall bring him to the gods, little g, the judges. They're at the front gate. That's where they made decisions. Well, how did they do it? They were the witnesses of God. They were the representatives of God. They had the word of God brought to them, which cannot be broken. It was written. He told them how to judge them in righteousness. So he called them gods. He shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost of his master, uh, bring him to the door of the doorpost. He shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door. Who's the door? You guys are good Bereans. The door, we just said, he said, I am the door of the sheepfold. You'll bring him to the door or to the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear. Have you guys ever heard that Jesus was crucified, that he was pierced for our transgressions? He'll pierce his ear. Because this costume, this stuff in your ear, what you hear, what is evidenced by it, what you do because of it, proves who you belong to. Who's your ear pierced to? Whose doorpost? Whose porch are you on? Whose house are you in? Pierce his ear with an awe. Isn't that what you say when people get saved? Awe. Oh, I'm teasing. Never mind. From Kentucky. My brain goes there. And he shall serve him how long? Forever. It was voluntary. It was free. He wanted to stay in his house. And listen, that's why we've been set free. We've been set free for freedom's sake. And we've been set free and we can now make a choice now that the wages of sin is no longer there. Now that sin has been paid for. Now you still have a choice. Do I want to pick up the phone and hear his voice and follow and be sanctified and sent and go out and in and out and in and out and be a witness with my works, my words, and my ways to do the will of God so people will come to salvation in the ministry of reconciliation of souls. He uses it again over in 22, 7. If a man delivers his neighbor's money or articles to keep and it is stolen out of the man's house, listen, because the thief is coming to rob, kill, and destroy. If you lose your stuff, 
he shall pay double. If the thief is not of the man's house, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. Verse 8, if the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the gods, the judges, to see whether he has put his hand in his neighbor's goods. For any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or a clothing, or any kind of lost stain, which another claimed to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the gods, the judges, the Elohim, and whoever the, whoever, uh, the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. Listen again, he, he uses the word Elohim for angels, for judges, for magistrates, for governors. It's used. And Jesus is just saying, if God could call you who are now trying to judge me and I am Messiah before you and call you a God, why is it wrong if I say I'm the son of God? He called you gods. And he's just trying to get them to make sense to them that, it, that, that the, he said the Son of God was coming and he called you gods. Why would you stone me and call it blasphemy if I said I was the God? I was the God. And I'm not telling you to be a God. You're a son of God. You're a child of God. He's just trying to use reasoning with them and he's finished speaking to them. He's finished speaking to them. Go back to the text, and we'll close. My goodness, you're long-winded. How can you go through this and not be? So what did the Father do with Jesus? The same thing that he wants to do with us. Verse 36, do you say to him whom the Father sanctified? He set him apart. He made him holy, and then he sent him, apostello, he sent him out, and we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do what? To obey by faith, not to disobey as in the wilderness when they were in rebellion, and they didn't mix it with faith what they had heard, but they were disobedient. They didn't obey, and they ended up dead in the wilderness. Not for salvation, but because of salvation. We continue this race. We run because we've been bought by a price. 37. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. That's why when you say to somebody, well, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You can tell a tree by its fruit and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And those are not works of righteousness, which you're doing. That's not how you're living. Don't judge me, man. Well, the people of God, they're supposed to be, uh, don't judge me, man. I said a prayer. I'm saved. Really? That's why we still speak. That's why we still share the gospel, even with people that think they're saved. Because if they're not in the word, prayer, and fellowship, if they're not hearing God's voice themselves through the word and letting him know them in relationship and following, then we know that they probably are not God's children. And we don't want God to speak to them that way when they get to the judgment seat. I would rather offend you today. I would rather offend you today with the word of God. It's offensive because it is one way. It's God's way. It's his word. It is in love. But you cannot be following the wrong Jesus. You cannot be following man's lifted up gospel from the Nicolaitans. You need to be following Jesus himself. And if you are, then you become the body of Christ. And we put all of our stuff together because we've surrendered and we begin to pursue a dead and dying world. And we have all things in common. We have one mind. It's the mind of Christ. 
How come we can do that in a factory floor? It takes a union, I guess. It takes people fighting. It takes people getting fighting. We do it on a, on a factory floor to make a product, but we can't do it in the body of Christ when we have the power of God with us to get the gospel out. But for money, mammon, we can go into a factory and put up with people. Oh, I don't like God's people. I love God, but I don't like his people. They're always talking about me. But we can go on a factory floor for worldly money and make a product. We can go to a job and put up with every type of nonsense of death culture. We're doing it for money. Are you doing it for souls? Listen, are you doing it for your paycheck? Are you doing it for souls? Very important difference about which port you're living on. Why you do what you do. He does it for his father's name. He does it because he was sent. He does it because he was sanctified and sent. He does it because he's being faithful by the power of the Holy Spirit. He does it because he's God, very God. And he knows that the joy set before him, he'll despise the shame because one day he's going to sit down at the right hand of God, just like we will. Positionally, we're there practically. The only way I know you're going is when you enter in and start listening to his voice and obeying him and following him. Nobody's going to do it perfectly. We're sheep takes us 15 feet, and we're lost. But don't get mad when somebody calls you out. The greatest love there is is to call you out. The greatest love there is is to speak. The reason we've shut up is because we stopped loving God's way. So we don't want to speak the truth in love. We don't want to tell somebody that's nonsense. You cannot change genders. You need to get saved. God will deliver you from such nonsense. I'm serious, people. How can we say we love people and say, yeah, let's do that? And all we're doing is paying Big Pharma to do that. All we're doing is paying Big Pharma to do that. And the devil's behind all of that. I'm not going to fall for their nonsense. I might fall for some, some things, but not all the time. And that's nonsense. Truth is a person, and we should be following him. 37, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. Do not trust in me. Do not commit to me. But if I do, though you do not believe, believe the works that you may know and believe. Listen, he wants you just to look at his works. Look at what he's doing. Look at the evidence so that they can believe. And people look, when people look, do they see evidence and testimony that you are different, that you are living for God so that they can believe? You might not be able to articulate it, but can you walk it out? Can you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you? Can you love them even when they spitefully use you so that they can believe? Believe what, Greg? That the Father is in me and I in him? That they're one? Because see, that's why they're trying to kill him is because he's claiming to be God. So he wants them to believe that. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, and he escaped out of their hand. Wasn't his hour, wasn't his time yet. They're trying to kill him, though. That's in their hearts. Notice how they flew off the handle. You notice that? They tried to seize him. Before, remember, they sent uh, guards to get him, and they said, never a man spoke like that. They came back with, we couldn't do nothing. We, nobody ever spoke like that. Now they're just trying, they just get mad, and they try to grab him. Crazy stuff, isn't it? And he went away again beyond the Jordan, the sender, 
to the place where John the Baptist was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. And, and, it, and it basically, he tried to stay away until the 14th in the sun. We'll see next week. He tried to stay away because they want to kill him. They're so mad at him because he's claimed to be God. He allowed a blind man to worship him. Then many came to him. Would to God that would happen today. And said, this is what their witness, their testimony, their lives proved. John performed no signs. But all the things that John spoke about this man were true. Is that the witness you're given? Is that the life you're living? Is that the testimony in this grand courtroom? Can we be John the Baptist in people's lives? And many believed in him there. That's how they're going to believe. You don't have to do signs and wonders. It's a sign and a wonder that we're listening to the word of God. That's a big enough miracle right there. That we're not dead. We're still alive and we're proclaiming Jesus. And as always, many believed and they knew where to come to him at. They're not trying to surround him. They're giving testimony of him. Are you lifting up Christ or are you lifting up your heel? Are you deliberately trying to hear his voice and know his will and surrendering so that his power can do his work through you, the ministry of reconciliation of souls. It's coming back soon. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your shepherd, your good shepherd. Your great shepherd of the flock, your chief shepherd who's coming back, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, give us a desire to hear his voice, to know his voice, to know truth when we hear it and the lie when we hear it. Help us to flee from the stranger and the lie, all the nonsense being taught today. Help us to be focused, Lord, by the power of your spirit upon the ministry of reconciliation of souls. We want to live on your porch forever, your house and Lord, we're convinced that none can take us out of your hand. None can snatch us out of your hand. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?